I'd like to read two passages of scripture as we begin this morning. The first is 1 Kings 17, beginning in verse 8. 1 Kings 17, beginning in verse 8. This is Elijah we're talking about. Then the, then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Go now to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and live there. For I have commanded a widow there to feed you. So he set out and went. When he came to the gate of the town, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and said, Bring me a little water in a vessel that I may drink. As she was going to bring it, he called to her and said, Bring me a morsel of bread from your hand. But she said, As the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked, only a handful of meal in a jar and a little oil in a jug. I am now gathering a couple of sticks so that I may go home and prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. Elijah said to her, Do not be afraid. Go and do as you have said, but first make me a little cake of it and bring it to me, and afterwards make something for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, the jar of meal will not be emptied, and the jug of oil will not fail until the day that the Lord sends rain on the earth. She went and did as Elijah said, so that she as well as he and her household ate for many days. The jar of meal was not emptied, neither did the jug of oil fail, according to the word of the Lord that he spoke by Elijah. The second reading is from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 25, verse 31. Matthew 25, 31. This is the Gospel, so I would invite you to stand for the reading. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, Take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Heavenly Father, we ask that you add your blessing to the reading of your holy word. Amen. You may be seated. If you'll indulge me for a moment, yes, Matthew, I'm going to try to give you a sermon illustration from the piano. This is a risk for me because playing the piano in public is always very nerve-wracking. But I think there's a story in this. 
I, as you probably know, was a music education major in college, pursued that degree, thought I would be a music teacher. One of the things that has to happen to earn that degree is you have to be able to play the piano well enough to operate a fifth grade music classroom, which means learning how to play things like 15 miles on the Eureka Canal and all those kinds of songs that little kids sing. But playing the piano is difficult for me. And so one summer during college years when I had already failed my piano proficiency test twice, which you understand means having to re-enroll and spend more money the next semester, you know, which is starting to make me nervous. Probably my parents were a little nervous. Um, I came upon a plan to help me learn how to fake my way through, okay? Now, in this particular example, fake is not a bad thing, because all you have to do is pass the test. But if I had to sit and read all the notes on the page and make my fingers play all those notes, I couldn't, I couldn't make that happen. But I learned something, slide number one. Those are the names of the notes of the keys on the piano. Looks probably like a foreign language to some of you, but that's how it lays out. And interestingly, almost all the songs, as certainly all the songs you're gonna sing in fifth grade music, are hang on three different chords. Let me explain, next slide. So a chord is three notes, C, E, G, okay? That's all a chord is. There are three chords that tend to repeat themselves through all of Western music. When I say Western, I mean the kind that we're, we're normally hearing. It's a one chord, a four chord, and a five chord. I'm gonna get there in a minute. But the C, E, and G is a predictable pattern, and I spent a summer doing this. And then because there's lots of different keys, I would shift. And we'll go up and down the keyboard two octaves. The second half of the process, next pattern. Oh, there's the second chord, see that? It just repeats. Next, next slide. There are, in every song, essentially then, three chords. The first is the one chord, and it's designated by those little blue stars. Do you see them up there? The next chord is the four chord, and we use numbers just so you know. If you start counting from number one, and you go one, two, three, four, that's why it's four. It's four notes up from the bottom. So this isn't rocket science, okay? And then there's one more chord, the five chord. Almost all music is built around those chords. Next slide. Okay, here's the deal. By practicing that progression that you just heard me practice for several hours every day for a whole summer, I moved all that chord stuff into habit in my left hand. That's why I was able to look at you while I played those things. Because I don't have to think about this hand anymore. It's like a secretary who knows the keyboard so well on their computer that they don't look at the keys anymore. They look at the document 
and they type away because they have moved the keyboard into habit, into this hand. So when I play something like this, oh, here's the four chord. all those habitual chords are there in the bottom and then the melody is what I have to think about in the right hand so I only have to think about one thing habit the melody above that's the sermon illustration yeah turn the powerpoint slides off now perfect We're still talking about what life ought to look like in the kingdom of God. Worship is still word one. God is our creator. Worship is due him for who he is, for what he has done, specifically for the love that he has bestowed on us. Word two is training, but training for a specific task. This is what we're in training for. Christians are called to live faithfully in a network of relationships in the community of faith and beyond. We receive training to live within that network of relationships. And to do that, first of all, you have to demonstrate enough humility to admit you need the training. But once you're humble enough to admit that you need the training, that you have something to learn, then we have to start to consider the areas which are common temptations for all of humanity. We've been given power, but we're not in control. We must resist the temptation to take control as Jesus did. God has promised to meet our needs. We do not have to hoard our resources to provide personal security. We must resist the temptation to provide our own security. God has demonstrated his service to us. You remember the towel around the waist and has called us to serve. We must resist the temptation to pursue comfort when God is calling us to pick up our cross and follow him. God has called us to have faith that the kingdom is advancing. We must resist the urge to give up when God has called us to faithfully move ahead. There are numerous temptations like these, and it would take me weeks to go and expound on each of them. There's the temptation to polish our image or our appearance rather than finding simply our identity in Christ as his child. There's the temptation to do whatever it takes to be liked or to please others, rather than to do what we believe pleases God. There's the temptation to pursue entertainment rather than practicing Sabbath. These temptations, they are not unusual. These are common temptations, and if we're going to be victorious over these temptations, there's two things we need. The disciplines of life that move us in opposite directions from the temptation are important. And then routine inspections to make sure that everything is in order is the second thing. I need need disciplines that move me away from the temptation, and I need times of inspection to make sure I'm moving in the right direction. 
I had the brakes in one of my cars replaced this week. I thought they felt a little squishy. It would have been irresponsible of me to ignore that feeling and just hope that my brakes would continue to work forever while I was out driving on Route 84. Routine inspections are necessary to make sure everything is moving in the right direction. When you discover you're watching too much bowling on television, it's irresponsible of you not to ask a Christian brother or sister if they think you're watching too much bowling on television. Because the very fact that the idea came to you that you might be watching too much bowling on television is probably the Holy Spirit saying, hey, I think you're watching too much bowling. And you can either listen to the Spirit at that time or you can ignore it. Or even better, if you love bowling and you're not sure, is you ask a Christian brother or sister and you say, you know, I'm starting to feel like maybe I'm watching too much bowling. Do you think like six hours of watching bowling at night is too much television? And they'll, and they'll give you an answer. But to not take the prompting seriously is a mistake. It's irresponsible in the kingdom of God not to listen to the voice of the Spirit. This practice is the discipline of faith of life in the kingdom. All of that stuff that I've just said, it's the left hand. It's what is the responsibility of the left hand. This is the structure of the chords that accompany the melody. It is discipline, it is practice, it is ongoing, it is normal. It's, it's the habit of Christians. We move prayer and Bible reading and spiritual self-examination and discussion with our brothers and sisters about things internal to our practice of our faith into habit. It just always goes on. For Christians, this is what we do all the time. But it is only half of the song. It's the bottom half, the foundational half, but there's a melody on top of it that runs. And the melody is service to others. You heard two passages this morning. The first deals with an incident from the life of Elijah. I find it fascinating that God says to Elijah, I've already told a widow to feed you. Well, the questions multiply when I read that. Um, why does God command a widow? He has all of Israel to feed Elijah. You think he would pick someone who was wealthier? But he picks the poorest to feed the prophet. And it occurs to me that perhaps this is true because the act of feeding Elijah is not just for Elijah's sake. In the midst of the widow's obedience, there is a lesson for her as well as for Elijah. God wants to bless the widow, and the pathway of blessing for her involves taking up a task that seems to be a hardship for her. Will she obey God 
or will she hoard what she has left for herself? There's another question I have in this story. I mean, if God already commanded her to feed Elijah, why does he have to ask her to do it? Why does Elijah have to say anything? I mean, he should just be able to show up in town and God's already spoke to the widow and she should be coming out with dinner, right? But it doesn't seem to work that way. Why does she resist the idea? Well, she and her son are hungry. Why are further promises necessary? I mean, when God speaks to us and commands us, don't we just naturally and immediately obey? (laughs) I love that laughter, don't you? If you hear the voice of God calling you to serve in a specific way, you just call the appropriate people and volunteer, right? You don't sit around and wait for someone in the church office to call you after God has spoken to you. You don't, you don't sit around and wait for Bob Cornell to call you and tell you there's an opening for a Sunday school teacher's assistant. You don't sit by the phone waiting for a call from Tanya Snyder about nursery ministry once God has put his thumb in your back, do you? I mean, but here we have Elijah and this widow. She needs to believe that God will provide. Elijah needs to eat. It takes her food to feed him and her obedience to keep she and her family fed as well. You know, God's economy is strange indeed. And it is interesting how often our needs are met when we start by sacrificing our means in behalf of others. The teaching of Matthew 25 is the perfect example of this. Jesus is teaching that a day is coming when the sheep and the goats are going to be divided. This is a picture of the great judgment day of God, the culmination of all time and all history. I don't think this is a comprehensive picture. I think it is one picture among many. I believe this because in this setting, faith in Jesus Christ isn't mentioned at all. The criterion used for judgment in this particular picture, which I think is just one criterion of judgment, is, well, you know what it says. Um, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty. You gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, you clothed me. I was sick, you looked after me. I was in prison, you came to visit me. And the people around the throne on that day asked, when did we see you and do these things for you? Whenever you did it for the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you did it for me, Jesus replies. This service to others is the melody that dances on top of the disciplines of our lives. Life in the kingdom of God is only authentic when all three things are, inve- are expressed. A foundation of discipline and practice for which training is required a life of service rendered in obedience to the voice of the Holy Spirit, which creates this song of worship to God, 
worshipful lives created by the union of these two things and our understanding, our humble understanding of what God has done for us. I want to talk a bit more about service in the days ahead. It's clear to me that service is needed both inside the kingdom and out. I'm not sure it's completely helpful to make a division between those two realms when it comes to our service. Jesus is certainly concerned about the needy, the unfortunate, and the misfortunate. Jesus doesn't say we only help Christians or we only help people who are like us. He doesn't say that we should only help people who are worthy of our help or people that are good people. In fact, he strongly identifies with the least of all people. In our society, people with mental illnesses, people with addictions, people who are poor, they often just get tossed to the bottom of the heap. In the church, people whose lives have taken a turn through questionable moral dilemmas or whose families have had to wrestle with gender identity issues or whose kids have made questionable choices. At just the time when these brothers and sisters of ours need the most support, we tend to turn our heads and say nothing or we pull away, leaving the hurting alone. To the injured, it feels like isolation and shunning. It adds insult to injury. I understand that it is common for folks to not know what to say when unusual circumstances arise. I understand that. It's a lot like the person in the church who loses a spouse and then is subsequently shunned from a couples-oriented society. Not that anyone intentionally did that, but people don't know what to say and they're uncomfortable. And the end result is you lose your spouse and then you lose half your friends too because they don't know what to say around you. It's additional injury when we're most vulnerable and when we're hurting. It's a double loss, loss of spouse and community. So when your kids mess up, don't run away. When your marriage is in trouble, don't run away. When you get in trouble with the law, don't run away. Because we need your help to become better servants of the king of the universe. As we care for one another in the most difficult of times, just like the widow, who's tasked with a very difficult choice. Our needs get met as we reach out to embrace those who most need our compassion and care. We need the practice of reaching out to folks who God wants to touch, even if those are the same folks that we don't know what to say to or who make us uncomfortable because of what has come to pass. 
Perhaps it's not the ones who are hurting that I should be talking to today. It's the rest of us who disappear and evaporate whenever there is awkwardness or pain or mess or dysfunction. But pastor, my own life is such a mess. If you really knew me, you wouldn't be asking me to speak to those who are also in difficulty. You know, I don't need to know you in that way. A kind word or a bit of compassion never bankrupted anyone. And God will provide all the resources you need to minister on his behalf to those who need his comfort. I think that's the story of Elijah's calling to this widow. She meets Elijah's need, but in the meeting of it, her own need is met and beyond and more because she trusts him. It may very well be that the healing you need in your life will come when you reach out to offer healing to someone else. I preached a sermon some years ago up at College Church in Quincy, Mass., and I was talking about things similar to this, about the need to reach out to neighbors compassionately. I don't know what the occasion was, but a year later, I was back speaking in that same church, and and an older lady walked up to me, and she said, I need to tell you what happened a year ago. And she told this story. She said, uh, the people who live next to me in my town sold their house, moved away, and a new lady moved in who was a single mom, but who also had a bad reputation in town. There was a small child, a young child and a baby on the way, and we were not real happy that she moved into our tightly knitted neighborhood. And so I really hadn't said anything to her. I guess I'd sort of been avoiding to her, she told me. But after you talked about going to get to know your neighbor and encouraging, I, I felt like the Holy Spirit was telling me to do that. So I waited until she went to get her mail and I went out to get mine at the same time. And I said hi. And we started a conversation. And she began to tell me about some of the struggles in her life and we talked more. And then she needed a babysitter at the last minute, and she called me and I said yes. And she said, and I had been, I've been wrestling with loneliness, she said, feeling somewhat disconnected. You know, since my husband died, I haven't had the kind of community I want, and now a year later, she and I and the kids are best friends. And she's at my house all the time. And we talk. And I'm, and I'm sort of like the safety net for her. And I really feel like God is using me in significant ways to make a difference and to make that family more stable. And the joy on her face was palpable. She was doing exactly what God wanted her to do. She was providing stability for this mom, additional stability for these kids, and at the same time, reaping joy 
and meeting. Felt like that widow that fed Elijah to me. Someone who who dared to step past the opinions of the rest of the neighborhood to be gracious and just say hi at the mailbox and make a difference. That's the stuff that will sing in our life. That's the captivating melody of Christ in our lives. It's that kind of service that Christ wants to accomplish through us and bring joy to your heart at the same time. There's some things you need to move into habit because if you're only always singing the melody without the foundation built beneath it, it ends up becoming self-serving It ends up becoming inconsistent. It's too easy to forget why you're doing this extra service when it might be easier to sit at home and watch bowling. And so it takes a foundation of a disciplined life married to a melody of service to erupt in this song of worship to God. That's the lesson. May each of you know the joy of being used by God to bring his kingdom to earth. To the glory of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.